0: Welcome to the Diversity Hygiene Academy podcast series. My name is Van Walter and I'll be today's host. This is podcast number 14 in the series. And today we're gonna be discussing disinfecting floors and educational facilities. We have with us today, Peter Teska and Lorinda Becker. As a part of the Diversity Hygiene Academy, you'll have some slides on the topic, a video recording, an audio recording, and a quick narrative on the content. So there's many different tools for you to use. So please feel free to sit back, listen, and learn.
1: A podcast about cleaning? What?
0: Diversity Hygiene Academy podcast series. Well, Peter and Lorinda, thank you for joining me today. We have a good topic of conversation. Thanks, Fan. Good to be here.
1: Glad to be here.
0: So let's get started here. So, Peter, I'm going to start with you. And we're going to start by uh, talking about, um, obviously, disinfecting floors and in educational facilities. So, you know, this pandemic has really caused us to pause and reevaluate how we clean floors and if they should be disinfected. Um, so what do you think about the level of risk floors play in certain environments and certain, certainly in, in school environments specifically?
2: Well, then, that's a good question. Historically, we've focused on disinfection of hand contact surfaces or high touch surfaces, but only tried to clean floors. And the SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 pandemic has caused us to reevaluate whether or not there, in fact, might be more risk associated with floors. There's not a lot of evidence in the literature about the risk posed by floors but it seems very clear on analysis that it isn't zero either, so it's somewhere in between. And this is forcing us to look at the activities that can contribute to pathogens being on the floor, mechanisms for how those pathogens might move onto hands or otherwise off the floor, and then what are the best environmental hygiene interventions to address the risk of floors. Some examples of activities that students might engage in that might put them in contact with the floor are things simply like sitting on the floor. Sometime during breaks and lunch, students will congregate and sit on floors. Other times, they might put objects on the floor, like book bags or um, books themselves, other supplies that they would touch with their hands, lunch containers, and then a variety of objects that they might use as part of classes. And this then gets into athletics, where students might have prolonged skin contact with floor surfaces. Or even contact with other people on floors, which are all ways in which we could envision pathogens moving from a floor onto a person, and then potentially becoming a vector of transmission that could result in infection.
0: How about some some key considerations as far as areas throughout the, the school? I mean, you talked you touched on um, you, you touched on you know if people are sitting on the floor or maybe certain activities. Or so there some specific areas where we might want to focus on. Or, or that might be considered higher risk throughout a school? Yes,
2: I think there's several things that should be considered in a risk assessment of how floor risk might vary across an educational facility. One is simply the amount of traffic. Areas that receive more traffic may be potentially more at risk simply because there's more people there. A second would be areas where it's quite common for students to be in direct contact with the floor, so these sort of sitting or squatting areas For younger children in elementary school, some of them may still have naps built into the day, and there they might be laying on the floor or on other things on the floor, but still be very close to the floor. And then you have all of the gym and fitness areas where sweating also is involved, and this then can make it easier for pathogens to move around. So if you walk through an educational facility, to me, it seems like you can identify areas that are likely to be higher risk and areas that are likely to be lower risk. And in having done a risk assessment, then it would be easier to have conversations around whether or not the same level of floor hygiene should apply to all areas or whether you should have some differentiated levels of hygiene, meaning that some areas might be disinfected and some might be cleaned. And then the the customer that you're working with, the school or other educational facility, would want then to have your input and feedback on this and we then would be in a position to help them identify the areas that we thought might be the higher risk areas.
0: When we, okay, so that's that's good good information about considering, you know, what to look at as far as high risk or higher risk floors in your facility. But when we start to think about our options for actually doing the work and cleaning the floor, there are, you know, multiple different options to consider here. So, Can you explain some of the different options, methods, and and, uh, tools that that are used, and and what might be some pros and cons between these options?
2: Sure. If you sort of envision a matrix, a four-by-four grid, to describe four different methods of providing floor hygiene, and then four different important considerations, you get a four-by-four or 16-box grid that you could fill in with these considerations. So if we start by thinking about mechanical action, and we assume that the four primary methods of providing floor hygiene are to use a scrubber dryer or auto scrubber, to use some kind of flat mop, to use some sort of microfiber mop, and lastly to use a cotton string mop, we can differentiate the amount of mechanical action that can be provided. A scrubber dryer would provide the highest, a microfiber mop would provide the second highest. And then the flat mop and the cotton string mop would typically provide the least amount of mechanical action. So to the extent that the cleaning process is important, and cleaning is always important in our world, the scrubber dryer is going to provide the most mechanical action on the floor, and thus the best cleaning result. Now, the second thing we might consider is whether or not applying disinfectant, if we were applying disinfectant, would the application method keep the floor wet for the contact time? And here, you'd have to know which disinfectant you're using Is it appropriate for floors? And what the contact time is. With a typical scrubber dryer, where we want it to be walk behind dry on use, you wouldn't be able to use the scrubber dryer and keep the floor wet for the contact time. So you'd have to, if you were using a disinfectant, you'd have to apply it in two passes. With one pass, you'd put down the liquid, but you'd have the squeegee up and the vacuum off. And then you'd wait for the contact time. And then you'd go over the floor a second time And there you'd have the squeegee down and the vacuum on if you were doing one of the three mopping methods a flat mop should be able to keep the floor wet for the contact time as should a cotton string mop which probably provides the most liquid with a microfiber mop it can be a little trickier to keep the floor wet because often with our pre-wetting we're trying to get a certain amount of friction with the microfiber which is where it offers its biggest benefit versus flat mopping And we do that by reducing the amount of liquid or controlling the amount of liquid on the microfiber mop. And that may then not put down enough liquid to keep the floor wet. So it is possible that you could apply disinfectant, but not provide enough to actually disinfect the floor. And as we work with our education customers, we want to be clear about what the limits are of each of these four floor hygiene methods so that we can help them understand whether or not they actually can disinfect the floor. Now, the third factor would be whether or not there's cross-contamination likely as a result of the method. So let's take the scrubber dryer first. If a person is walking behind a scrubber dryer, there may be a problem with cross-contamination if it's a walk-behind machine and they're walking on the floor after it's been disinfected. If they have a ride-on machine, the risk would be much lower. So here's an advantage to having a ride-on machine in a facility because it makes it easier to prevent the cross-contamination of the worker's feet from touching the floor after disinfection. For a flat mop, it would only be perhaps medium. The biggest risk is whether or not they would try to resubmerge the mop into the disinfectant solution in the charging bucket rather than using a fresh one when they go to the bucket itself. So if they use the flat mop and when it's not keeping the floor dry for the contact time, they switch mop pads, then there'd be very little risk of cross-contamination. But if they're gonna do a redunking method with the flat mop, and some of the ones on the market are marketed that way, that would be a much higher risk for cross-contamination. For microfiber mops, the risk would be low if it was a single charge, but maybe perhaps medium if they resubmerge it. And then for the cotton string mop, where it's very common to dip the mop back into the same bucket of liquid, I think we'd rate that as high all the time, because after the first use of the mop, whatever soil was picked up and brought back to the bucket would likely contaminate the mop and may be carrying pathogens with it that then could be spread in subsequent passes but when using the mop. And then the fourth consideration would be whether or not you're actually delivering enough active to the floor. And here's where quat binding becomes a factor. So for a scrubber dryer, there should be no risk because the pad or brush should show binding with quaternary disinfectants but for the flat mop, the microfiber mop and the cotton string mop, all three of those could potentially have a risk of quat binding. And for quat disinfectants to work properly, just like any other disinfectant, they need to leave behind the proper amount of active per the label, and if that active is bound up on the mopping substrate, then you're going to get a lesser of disinfection than if the correct level of active was there. So I know that this is is a bit complicated to walk through and we've created some tools, which Lorinda is going to talk about in a little while here, to help with having these conversations. But I think this outlines the major hygiene considerations in floor mopping and, and why you might pick each of the various four options that we think are most common.
0: Yeah, I think this is very interesting because it's uh, it's not just switching from your normal neutral cleaner to a disinfectant. if If you truly want to get disinfection results on your floor. It's just not that simple. There's a lot of other things to consider here. So thank you for walking us through this. If you could though, Peter, just summarize for us some best practices in education facilities when looking at floors.
2: I think the first thing that would be important to do is do a risk assessment, trying to understand the traffic of each area and then the activity that goes on within the area. So as an example, the lobby area uh, at the building entrance that might get a lot of traffic, but there might not be a lot of people doing things that involve contact with the floor. So you might rate that a low to medium type of risk. But if you get into say the cafeteria area, especially if the cafeteria doesn't have enough seating for all the students and students will sit along the wall and on the floor, that might be a much higher risk, a high amount of traffic and a high amount of hand to floor contact. And as you move through the facility, Uh, athletic areas certain classes where students might perform activities where they're intentionally on the floor these might be the higher risk areas within the school and they might be the ones where you want to focus more attention and I think it's it's important to point out here too that we might end up helping the customer select multiple options for floor hygiene for different parts of the school rather than having one approach that's used everywhere And that would be based on the risk assessment. So the the areas of highest risk, the customer may want to hand mop those areas to offer the best option of achieving disinfection if they can't use a machine. Or they might use a machine in some areas and might just use it with neutral cleaner. What customers aren't going to want to do is change products midstream. So they're not going to want to take the auto scrubber back and dump the liquid and then refill it and do another part of the building with disinfectant. So we have to help them navigate, are they going to use the machine for the low-risk areas, and are they going to hand mop medium and high-risk areas? Considerations like that, I think, go a long way towards addressing the risk from the floor.
0: Outstanding. Well, thank you very much for your uh, expertise here, Peter. And I, we're going to turn over and start talking to Lorinda, because Lorinda, I know, has a lot of materials, support materials on this topic and she would like to share some of those with us today. So, Lorinda, if you could walk us through some of those, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, thank you, Van, and thank you, Peter. That was really, really helpful. Um, and, and as Peter said, you know, there are a lot of things to think about when figuring out, you know, how often, how much, what do I do, where do I do what, as far as disinfecting the floors in an education environment. So a, a couple of things, and I'll just highlight a couple of things that Peter talked about, too, is, is really thinking about, you know, are there times or areas that might need to have multiple floor disinfections during the day? And, you know, thinking about illness rates, thinking about what season it is, um, what issues you've run into in the past um, can help feed into that as well as, you know, the diversity team can certainly help with that as well. Um, He also talked a little bit about how students interact with floors, if they're sitting on the floor, if they're playing on the floor, if they are sleeping on the floor, or they are wrestling on the floor. There are a lot of different ways to really consider, you know, is this an opportunity where germs can be transmitted, and are they going to be, you know, touched and moved from person to person? Talked a little bit about seasonal outbreaks. You know, we have the flu season very, very um, prominent between November and February, thinking about when illnesses may be a little bit more suspected or found would be a really good assessment tool as well. And then overall foot traffic. So if you think about, you know, if if there are a lot of people through the corridors, through the hallways, is there potentially an opportunity for contamination or any kind of airborne contamination as well? And then the last thing that Peter really talked about was quad binding, and it's really important to know not just the products you use, but the tools with which you you actually do the process, and, and I think that's really, really important. So um, as Peter talked about, is really, you know, those high-risk areas, you know, you want to think about what are those and, you know, how do I do my best disinfection or my best cleaning practice and disinfection? And then driving into the medium risk areas. So high risk areas might be um, restrooms, locker rooms, um, kids' classrooms like K through five, the younger students. Your medium would be maybe your better disinfection versus your best, and and those might be areas like offices, cafeterias, classrooms, teachers' lounges are another popular place, especially if they have vending machines and you know a lot of table touching and things like that and then maybe your good disinfection, which would be your lower risk areas. And and ideas there might be hallways, gyms might be another area except for on the court. And then also thinking about the libraries and, and areas like that. Does that make sense, Van?
0: Yeah, it sure does, Lorinda. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I yeah, think, go. you know, if, if you break these down a little bit, just kind of going a little bit deeper, um, when you get into those high risk areas, you know, think about oh. foot traffic, think about how many times you need to do it, what are best practices, maybe you should pre-clean, maybe you should remove the disinfectant with an out-of-scrubber, as Peter said earlier. So, you know, thinking about that frequency with a neutral cleaner. So kind of looking at that, looking at the medium-risk areas, the same kind of thing, and then also diving into the low-risk areas which really might be, you know, pre-clean and and maybe do spot disinfection or, you know, think about, you know, where you can, you know, what tools you're going to be using when you do that process. So um, a couple things that that the team has provided is there is a document that kind of walks through how do you get through that criteria, Um, a little bit of the education that Peter shared with us, Um, just giving you some different tools and tips to think about and assess as you go through your facilities. And then the last thing that I will mention is that diversity has created a quick risk risk assessment, can't say that five times, Um, which really is an assessment that goes through kind of, you know, what might those high risk, medium risk, low risk areas be, and then the age group the illness season, if it's high, medium, or low, and then also if there are deep cleaning events, and really kind of puts it into a point system that you can actually assess. And then when you get to that assessment, you can look at the points and say, okay, I might need to do my best practice here, my better practice here, and maybe my low-risk good practice here. So just some different tools to think about. There's an example that we have in our shared information to help you, and then also Diversity has provided kind of a a quick overview of what cleaners and what disinfectants might be good, better, best to help you make the best decision for the area that you're worried about and, and where your students need to keep to optimize their learning.
0: Well, great. It's a lot to consider, more than what you would think when it comes to your floors in your educational facilities, for sure. But, you know, Peter provided us with some great information today to help guide the way. And then we also have all these great tools and reference materials to help make that decision hopefully easier easier now for our customers. So I want to thank Peter and Lorinda for being with us today. Thank you very, very much. We appreciate your time. You're quite welcome.
1: Yes, thank you, man.